0: Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 Ninth Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to set up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. Happy Mother's Day. It's a very special day because mothers are very special people. We are blessed to have so many good and godly mothers here at Ninth Avenue. We know others are visiting with us this morning because of this holiday and for your presence. We are so very thankful. Mothers are special. And children hold Their mothers in high regard. It's amazing what children think of their mothers. Five-year-old Billy came home from school one day. They had studied elephants at school that day. And he came home and his dad was sitting in the living room watching television. And he walked in and said, Dad, I've got a question. And being the good father he was, the dad turned off the television and looked over at Billy and said, Well, what is it, son? And he said, Dad, do you know the difference between a pack of cookies and a pack of elephants. And, of course, his dad was thinking, this has to be a joke or something. He tried to think, and he said, no, son, I don't. And and the little five-year-old boy said, well, then it's a good thing Mom buys our groceries, isn't it, Dad? Moms are able to just do certain things. They're just creative. Even if something doesn't work, it's amazing how a mom's mind works. They try to figure things out. It was a teenage mom or a, a mom of a teenager, I should say, who was talking to another mother, and she said, how do you get your sleepy-headed teenage boy up every morning? He's driving me nuts. And the mom said, that's easy. I put the cat at the end of the bed. And she said, what does that have to do with getting your son up every morning? He said, he sleeps with the dog. <laughs> it's, it's remarkable what moms are able to figure out. It's remarkable how they think. One of the most intriguing people in all the Bible is Mary. I wish we knew more about Mary. There's just something about her that just intrigues us. We have a, a some of her biography. We have some information, but don't you wish we just knew more than we do? There's just certain people in the Bible that I wish we had a fuller biography of, and I think she's one. Now, we can surmise maybe why we don't have more. Of course, we know there are people who actually worship Mary. Maybe if we had more of her biography, we might be more tempted to do that. But, of course, it's wrong to, to worship her. She's just another person, like we were another person. But it's not wrong to be amazed by her. It's not wrong to just be amazed by, by her role in the plan of God and her role in history. What a was talking about Mary, and I love these words that he wrote. He said, Of all the extraordinary women in Scripture, One stands out above all others as the most blessed, most highly favored by God, and most universally admired of women. Indeed, no woman is more truly remarkable than Mary. She was the one sovereignly chosen by God from among all the women who have ever been born to be the singular instrument through which He would at last bring the Messiah into the world. I think we know that fact. But have you ever considered how amazing that is? That of every woman who ever lived or ever will live, she was the one who brought Jesus into the world. She's amazing. If you're a guest with us this morning... On Sunday mornings throughout 2017, we're considering the words of Jesus. Our theme for 2017 is one word, the word of Christ. And so every time I preach or Tyler preaches on Sunday mornings, we're looking at something that Jesus said, a parable or a story or a teaching. But since this is Mother's Day, I thought it would be kind of interesting to go through the accounts of the gospel and consider the times when Jesus spoke to his mother. There there are several times where we see just very brief interactions between Jesus and Mary, and it tells us something about our Lord and tells us something about what He was focused on throughout His life in the way that He addressed His mother in those various settings. And hopefully in doing that, we can encourage ourselves to have the same focus that He had, but also I would hope that in doing this, we can honor godly mothers Because if we are focused on the same things that Jesus was focused on throughout his life, then wouldn't a mother be honored by that? By a child who's willing to live in that way and be focused on those things. So I hope you have your Bible with this one. We're going to be looking at three different accounts throughout the accounts of the gospel. The first one is found in Luke chapter 2. And it's the one that we read together a few moments ago, at least part of, in Luke chapter 2, the end of that chapter. We see in this account, that when Jesus spoke to his mother, he was focused on the heavenly father. I love that account found in those last several verses of Luke chapter 2. And you remember the basics of it, where Jesus stays behind in the city of Jerusalem, specifically in the temple, and how his family leaves to go back home. and They, they, they don't find him for a while. and They have to search for him over and over and over again. And one reason I love that story is the humanness that comes out in it. Did you notice in part of what Sin read for us a few minutes ago when they find Jesus, there is just this human side to what Mary says to him, isn't there? Why have you troubled us this way? Now, I like that. That's just a mom, isn't it? Can't You, you put it in 2017 language. Why would you put us through this? That's exactly what she's asking. But it's interesting to think about how Jesus responded. We know that at this time, Jesus is about 12 years of age. The Jewish culture, of course, that's coming close to the time when he will be considered a man or a young man. But it's a very interesting age because it's sort of that age we are teetering on still being a boy and becoming a man and taking up or at least learning by apprenticeship the work of the father and that sort of thing and starting to take on little pieces of responsibility. The Jews would have considered him still a boy, but almost there. And yet Jesus looks at her and those very famous words said, Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? Or as some translations have it, I must be about my Father's business. Now we could argue all day long about which one of those is correct. Different scholars believe different things, but they make the same point. The point is simply that Jesus' focus, even at this very tender age, was on his heavenly Father. Here he was, basically saying that as important as his earthly parents were, even they could not override his relationship to, his responsibility to, or to use our word, his focus on the Father in heaven. Now, why is that important for all of us, but especially young people? It it reminds us of what the Bible says in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You recall that commandment that's given in the Ten Commandments and brought over the New Testament begins, children obey your parents. But there's more to it, isn't there? Children obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Jesus is displaying that part of the commandment. It's not to say that going home with Joseph and Mary would have been a sin. But Jesus is saying, I am so focused on the Heavenly Father that absolutely nothing is going to keep me from connecting with Him, learning of Him, and so on and so forth. It's sad when children sometimes aren't led in ways that are right. But any time a parent tells a child to do something that's within the ways of God, a child needs to obey that because God comes first. And by the way, one reason I asked sin to read the rest of Luke chapter 2, all the way down through sort of those summary verses, verses 51 and 52, as you see in those verses, the, the balance of all of this. Especially, I believe, in verse 51. We know verse 52 very well, that Jesus increased in wisdom, and stature, and favor with God and man. That one verse, really, is supposed to sort of summarize all of his years between this account, at about the age of 12, all the way through and his ministry begins at about the age of 30. But it's the verse prior to that that tells us so much about the balance we see in the life of Christ. Did you notice what was said in verse 51? And he, that is Jesus, went down with them, his parents, and came to Nazareth. And now depending on the translation you have, it will either say something like, he was submissive to them or he was subject to them. What's that tell us about Christ? It tells us about Christ that he didn't try to pull rank. Even at the age of 12, he knew who he was. He knew he was the Son of God. He knew all of these things. But as he went home... With his parents to Nazareth to be raised, he didn't pull rank. When they led him in the ways of God, he was submissive or, again, some translations, and I prefer the word, by the way, subject to them. What does that tell us about how we can honor mothers today? Anytime a mother tells us to do something that's in the ways of God, we need to obey. But I would also suggest to you it is honoring to mothers, especially godly mothers, when they see their children so focused on the Father in heaven that they can't help but talk about Him. It's fine to talk about sports and shopping. I won't talk about shopping, but sports and, you know, and, and things going on in life and all that sort of thing. But does your mother ever hear you talk about God and how much you love Him, how much you're thinking of Him? Wouldn't that honor a godly mother? When Jesus spoke to His mother, He was focused on the Heavenly Father. If you're in Luke chapter 2, you're going to turn over several pages and go to the book of John chapter 2. Because in John chapter 2, we see that when Jesus spoke to his mother, he was also focused on the mission or on his mission. We fast forward now to when Jesus was about 30 years of age. His earthly ministry is beginning. And to summarize what's going on in John chapter 2, we find Jesus in a, at a wedding feast in a small town called Cana. And as John would bring this short account to a close, we'll kind of give the spoiler alert here, he would tell us down in verse 11 of that chapter that this was the first of Jesus' signs. John's the only one of the gospel writers who consistently uses that word signs to describe the miracles of Jesus. And the reason is because when you come near the end of John's account of the gospel, he would tell us that these signs are written that you may believe, basically, that Jesus is the Son of God. And so John calls these things signs, things that point to something. This would be the first. It's the first recorded miracle chronologically that Jesus performs. And you recall what happens in this particular account. Jesus is at a wedding feast, a social gathering in that small town. And we're told by John that Jesus' disciples are also there. Keep that phrase in your mind for something we'll say in in just a couple of moments. But Jesus and his disciples have been invited to that wedding feast. But it's Mary who comes to Jesus and says, they've run out of wine. Do they have no wine? By the way, there are some who suggest, by the way, by that little phrase, it's Mary who knows that and who seems to be sort of distressed, upset, whatever, that that happened. There are some who suggest that maybe Mary was sort of the caterer or the one in charge of this wedding feast. We don't know that for sure, but it is interesting that she's kind of agitated by what's going on here, and she tries to find a solution, and so on and so forth. But whatever the case, Mary is also at this location. And she tells Jesus they don't have any wine. What's Jesus' response? It's found in verse 4, where he said, Woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. Now take the first part of that just for a second. Let's put this on the table. Some people look at it and they go, he called his mom woman? I mean, if I call my mom woman, I better duck, right? That, that, that's, that's not exactly the way it's... But you've got to remember, this is not a 2017 American story. This is a first century Eastern account. And in that day and in that time, the word woman would be much more like our word lady. In fact, guy Woods in his commentary on the book of John says that this term was one of reverence and honor. And I think he's right He's simply saying, ma'am, if you want to put it in our terminology. What does that have to do to me? But then the specific part I want us to focus on is that statement. My hour is not yet come. It's interesting, isn't it? Remember what I told you to kind of put in the back of your mind for a second? Who was invited to the wedding feast? Jesus and his disciples. Is it not possible? Again, this is just thinking out loud. But is it not possible that some might have thought his hour had come because he already had a following? He already had some who were listening to him. He had disciples, which simply means learners or followers or imitators. And so maybe if he does something here to show himself that that everything will be done, all the mission will be fulfilled. But Jesus understands his mission was not just to build a crowd. His mission culminated in the cross and then ultimately in the resurrection. And it's not time for that yet. Everything Jesus did while He was here on the earth was not only in the Father's will, it was also on the Father's timeline. And Jesus had to understand that. There are many times where Jesus could have tried to do something to change that timeline. Sometimes it was what we might consider to be positive And huge. You recall there was at least twice where people wanted to make him an earthly king. They want to go ahead and make him a king right then and right there. Wouldn't that have proven something? I'm sorry, but that might have been my way out of it. How about yours? Instead of going through the cross and all of that, I think I would put a crown on my head. That'll that'll show everybody. And besides, if we think it's an earthly kingdom, then how else are you going to show you're better than the Romans and to set up your own kingdom right here and sit on a throne? But that wouldn't keep him from the mission. But even things like this that may seem smaller, almost insignificant. Even those things, Jesus would not allow to be uh, to, to deflect him from his ministry, his mission. What does that have to do with us in 2017? Let's go back to how we concluded that first point. How often do our moms hear us talk about everything other than what we're doing in the Lord's work. If we want to honor godly mothers, number one, let's make sure that we're doing the Lord's work. But also, let's not be ashamed to talk about it. Mom, I'm so excited. They asked me to teach a Bible class. And I've never taught first and second graders before. And I'm pretty nervous. But man, I can't wait. That's going to be fun. And we're going to learn about the book of Genesis together. Don't you think a godly mom would just melt on the other end of the phone if you told her that? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Mom, I heard heard the youth minister make an announcement that they need some people to host kids in the house for devotionals, and I've never had more than two kids in my house, but you know what? Why not? We're going to do that. We're going to open the house, and we're going to grill some hot dogs, and I'm going to make that part of my ministry. That's fantastic. And all of it is... Tied to the fact that while we may have a mission in this life, it's not the same as going to the cross and so on and so forth, but we have a mission in this life, do we not? We are here to glorify God and bring others to that glory as well. And nothing should be able to detract us from that mission in life. Nothing should deflect that as the priority of our life. Glorifying God and bringing others to that glory as well. Jesus, when he spoke to his mother was focused on his mission. But in the third place is the one we sang about a moment ago. And if you're still in John, you're going to to turn over a few pages to John chapter 19. Because when Jesus spoke to his mother, he also focused on her care. I think it's significant that both of these last two we're talking about are in the Gospel of John because of how Jesus addressed his mother. In John 2, he called her woman. And as he's here on the cross looking down at at Mary, what's he called? Same thing, doesn't it? He calls her... Woman, It's only John, by the way, who records that way that Jesus addresses uh, his mother in, in that way. It's In John chapter 19, and it's only a couple of sentences from the lips of Jesus, but it shows his care for her. While, while the focus of Jesus was always on pleasing his heavenly Father, following that mission, part of being faithful to the will of God is taking care of parents or honoring them. By the way, there's a lot of speculation about where Joseph is by this time. We don't know. The Bible never tells us. But the entire adult ministry, if you please, uh, of Christ, Joseph is not on the scene, which really only leaves a couple of options. Either Joseph had deserted things, which doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, or more likely he's, he's dead by this time. And that's most likely what happens, because it's Mary and the brothers who are around from time to time. But Jesus now is dying on the cross, and Jesus knows that he'll come back from the dead in three days, but then Jesus also knows that 40 days beyond that he will ascend back into heaven. And so even though he knows he's going to live again for that period of a month and a half or thereabouts, preparations need to be made for taking care of his mother for these next three days of extreme levels of grieving, but then also probably when he ascends back into heaven and He's gone forever, at least physically speaking. And so Jesus looks down from the cross, and in verse 26, he says to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Uh, Who's the son? Well, it's one of the other people who's there at the foot of the cross, is it not? John is the one recording this account of the gospel. And throughout the, the gospel account, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Which, by the way, I've always thought, the opposite of that is true, is it not? Because this disciple obviously loved Jesus. Because here he is at the foot of the cross. But John, Jesus excuse me, looks down and says, Woman to his mother, behold your son. And it says a whole lot about John, by the way. that Then Jesus flips that on its head and says, Behold your mother. And the text says from that very hour or from that time, he took her into his own home. Probably what that simply means is once they left that scene at the cross and probably tears were streaming down Mary's face and I think probably John's face as well, he did not shirk away from that responsibility but took care of Mary likely during these three days where Jesus was in the grave, but possibly even after Jesus ascended back into heaven as well, that became her home place. It says a lot about him. But Jesus was taking care of her. Now, we can logically, as we said, deduce that she was a widow by this time. But we also know, whether she was or not, that at this point in time, none of Jesus's brothers, or I guess more literally half-brothers, believed in him. They weren't present for his crucifixion so far as we know. And they no wonder They don't believe in Him at all. They weren't close to their mother, doesn't seem like, at least in this way, providing comfort. Jesus realizes that. And He wants to make certain that Mary is both comforted and comfortable. Do you remember back when Jesus was presented at the temple as a small boy? There's a couple people who enter the scene just basically on one page. One is Anna, the other is Simeon. And Simeon makes that prophecy about Christ, about this baby, but then he turns specifically to Mary. The text doesn't say he turned to them, the parents. It says he turned to her, to Mary, and said, a sword will pierce your soul also. And here it is. It doesn't say a sword will pierce her side, or a sword will pierce her heart. A sword will pierce her soul. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine the way Mary's soul had to be aching As she watched all of this going on, I don't think artists or movie directors or anyone else can get remotely close to what she was going through and the scene that actually was going on as she was grieving there because her son is not just dying, he's being crucified and he is innocent. How could she possibly find comfort? Jesus focused on her care by placing her in the care of one who trusted as deeply as anybody else. Remember, the other disciples had forsooken him. They forsook him. They had fled. They're probably at the very least at a distance and maybe completely gone. But here's John at the foot of the cross, probably weeping too, but caring for the Lord and the Lord's mother. I love what one writer said about this. This is a little bit lengthy, but I want you to hear these words. One writer said about Jesus making sure that Mary was taken care of. He said that act epitomizes Mary's relationship with her firstborn son. She was his earthly mother, but he was her eternal Lord. She understood and embraced that relationship. She bowed to his authority in heavenly matters, just as in his childhood and youth, he had always been subject to her parental authority in earthly matters. As a mother, she had once provided all his needs, but in the ultimate and eternal sense, he was her Savior and her provider. You know, care takes different forms. And that especially is true as parents, and parents' age and children' age and life situations change. But the other part of that command that's found in the Old Testament and brought over the New Testament is not just children obey your parents in the world for this is right, but honor your father and mother. And you've probably heard it said before, there's no time stamp on that commandment it is so very easy to teach that commandment to our young people almost in a sense or in a way that says, honor your father and your mother until you leave home. Or honor your father and your mother until you have a home of your own, a household of your own of some kind. There's no time stamp on that command. Now, the way in which we honor may change because life circumstances change. Distance, geography comes into play. Yes, having our own household may may change things. The relationship changes somewhat, but there are still ways to honor parents no matter what our age might be. It could be much like Jesus here, taking care of a parent in their time of grief or their time of need or even their time of when health begins to fade or even fail. But it's interesting to me that you have that glimpse into the life of Christ. That when he speaks to his mother, yes, he's focused on the Heavenly Father, on the mission. But right at the culmination of all of that, right at the apex of all of that, right at the time where all of that, all of everything eternity is building towards, in the middle of that, he pauses and says, I'm going to take care of her. What it means to honor a godly mother. You know what you really see when we see these times that Jesus speaks to his mother is you see a glimpse into what his priorities were. There's very few times where we have Jesus speaking specifically to Mary, but each time he speaks, you see a glimpse into what his priority on life in life always was, and it's a laser sharp focus. It is focusing on the heavenly Father. It is focusing on his mission here on the earth, and yes. It is focusing on His mother in a very difficult time. We talk about what matters, and what we talk about matters. It's not wrong to talk about all sorts of things. But what do we spend most of our time talking about? Should the thing we spend most of our time communicating about not be the most important things in our life? And since it's Mother's Day, let me encourage all mothers to talk about God to talk about family, to instill in your children the desire to want to communicate openly about those things. But also for all of us, one of the best ways we can honor godly parents, specifically today godly mothers, is to be careful about what we talk about. And if we're going to say that the most important things in our life are God and family, then shouldn't that be what we find ourselves talking about? Shouldn't that be what dominates our conversation? with anyone and everyone we might come in contact with. Let me just ask a couple of questions as we close. When you think about what Jesus said when he spoke to his mother, as we said, you get a glimpse into where his focus really was. May I just ask, is that where my focus really is? Is everything I do in life centered around the Heavenly Father? Is everything I do in life laser-focused on I am going to live this life honoring Him and nothing is going to distract or detract me from walking in the light? And if I'm blessed with family, is everything in this life centered on making sure they know That I love God more than anything else. And I want them to talk about Him and hear me talk about Him more than anything else. That's what Jesus did. And if I want to be more like Him every day, that's what I need to do as well. We have a lot of guests this morning. And for your presence, we could not be more thankful. I don't know how much you know about the Church of Christ. You may have just come this morning because it's where your mom or grandma goes, or you may have just wandered in off the street. I, I don't know. We're glad you're here. But let me tell you very quickly, all we're trying to do is take the Bible and live it out. That's all we're trying to do. Whatever the Bible says to do, that's what we're going to do. And the Bible says to avoid, we're going to do our best to avoid. Are we perfect? Oh, we wish we were. <laughs> Which is a kind way of saying, no, we're not. <laughs> we're going to make mistakes. But we're always going to go back to the Bible. And that includes how one becomes a follower of Christ. The Bible very clearly states that we must believe. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. I must believe that Jesus really is the Son of God. The Bible says I need to turn from those things that are wrong. We call that repentance. All that means is turning around, changing our mind, changing our action. Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll perish. Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, also found in verse 5. The Bible says, I need to be willing to confess, speak about Christ the same way that God would speak about Christ. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. I never need to be ashamed to utter the word Jesus and call him my Savior and Lord. And then the Bible says, I must be baptized. That just simply means immersed or buried in water for the forgiveness of my sins. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. We beg you this morning, if you've never done that, to do those things necessary to become a Christian. Once you become a Christian, all the Bible simply tells us to do is to become more like Christ every day. The big fancy word for that is sanctification, which is a big fancy word. It just simply means to be set apart a little more each day, to become more like Christ So many people in this room have done that, become Christians. But maybe on that process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ, you've lost your focus. Maybe there's something in your life that's between you and God. And you're here this morning and you want to say, you know what, I want to rededicate my life to Him. You don't have to be re-baptized. But the Bible does say for us to pray together, to ask for forgiveness, to ask for encouragement. And we at Tyler listened to prayer a few moments ago that we are a church family. And we're going to put our arms around you and pray with you and encourage you any way we can. So this morning, if you're not a Christian, would you let God make that change in your life by submitting your will to His? If you are a Christian, but you need encouragement or need forgiveness, why would you wait to make that change in your life? Brother John's going to lead us in a song in a moment. We're all going to stand up in just a second. And all we ask you to do is just come down here to the front. I'll meet you. Tyler will meet you. One of the elders will be down here. We'll sit and talk with you as long as we need to. It's a very respectful situation. And we'll treat you kindly and respectfully and help you any way we can. If you'll come, all we stand and as we sing.